0: Hello again everyone and welcome to episode 2 of Playing With Myself on the Internet where I am playing Miru 1 by Hino Koto. Last time we played through two weeks of the story of a character who witnesses his brother's death at the hands of a robot and dissociates vowing to get revenge and kill the robot god in a dystopian future. My character struggled with starvation, failing to find reliable food, until eventually he in desperation went back to take down a mountain lion and managed to find a decent cache of food stored away where the mountain lion was making its den, and continued to travel through swamps, forests, mountains, grasslands, and deserts, until eventually on day 15 we arrived at a warehouse. This warehouse was full of activity of various robots, but most importantly, there were two robots that were familiar, and were present and responsible for the death of the character's brother. In a dissociated fury, I took my solar-powered taser to the power cables in the building and all of the bots inside burst into flames this warehouse is going up but as i went to make my escape i was confronted by the very same robot that killed my brother and stood frozen in the doorway this is where we ended the last episode and this is where we are picking up this episode now since I used my solar powered taser on the power cables and it is a one time per day use item. I don't get that. I did look up in the in-between weeks what the Golden Cross and the Deck of Alora cards that I found in my first few weeks adventuring out here do. And luckily the Deck of Allura cards does give me plus one attack against all robots. But unfortunately it's not going to make a difference really for what I'm doing here. Because I don't have my one weapon ready to be used, and my hands are not going to do enough before this thing would just tear me to pieces. So my only option is to flee. We did flee from the Mountain Lion last week, so I'm going to attempt to do it again this week. However, in Miru, enemies attack first. So I'm going to roll a d6 to see how much damage I take from this Buster T7 as I attempt to rush by and get out. And this Buster T7 has an escape stat of five, meaning I have to roll a six in order to get out. So fingers crossed. Here goes. How much damage are we taking? I got a two. So that's the low end. It's only three. I have a defense stat higher than that, thanks to my Buster T7, my shield, and my sleeper leather jacket. Now let's roll a D6 and see if I can get past this robot and live to fight another day. I rolled a two, so I do not escape, and on attempts to escape, I spend two energy points every time, and I roll 1d6. If it is a failure and it is even, the enemy gets plus one to their attack for one turn, so they're hitting harder every time I fail to escape and roll even. If I fail to escape and roll an odd number, I can't even escape on the next turn, so I really desperately need to get out of here fast. So it has plus one attack on this turn. The building all around us is going up in flames. Chaos is erupting. It rolled a six plus one on its attack. It's nine damage plus one, so ten. So minus my five is I'm going to take five damage from this hit. But I did roll a six on my second attempt to escape. So I am going to get out of there with only the five damage from the one hit and the four Energy points that I needed to attempt to escape as that building continues to go up in flames, and I rush out into the forest under the cover of night. And luckily, this robot is not going to follow me as it attempts to save and salvage whatever parts and other robots it can. And again, there are penalties to running away, even as you're attempting to run away in the middle of a fight and if you successfully run away. Now it says here, because I rolled even, I had to roll even in order to flee this Buster T7, an even roll on a success says skip eating and sleeping this day. So I begin dealing with starvation and sleep deprivation for one night. And that makes sense. I am just running on adrenaline. I've been injured. I just saw the robot that killed my brother, and I could do nothing about it. Sleepless, frantic, just stressful night sets in, as I am constantly looking over my shoulder in this forest, waiting to hear the sounds of robots tracking me down. I'm going to take another two hit points away from starvation, and two energy points away from sleep deprivation. And that's one hell of a day 15. We begin day 16. In the same stretch of forest where I just recently, finally, dispatched the mountain lion. Which, after a sleepless night, hunger setting in, the memory of just a few days ago when I was so desperate for any bit of food, I charged headlong into a mountain lion's den. All of a sudden that does not seem anywhere near as scary as actually seeing that Buster T7 that killed my brother. We are starting in this hex, and we are not going back to fight that Buster T7 yet. We are going to go northeast to the hex adjacent to that warehouse that is burned down. You can still see the smoke rising in the air, the aftermath of the fire, which was presumably handled by these robots, not to go crazy and spread throughout the forest. So we're going to do the typical gameplay loop of miru here and we're going to roll for terrain and events or encounters and see what we find i've adopted the go quicker method that is presented in the book which is just rolled 4d6 i have one that is representing my terrain 2d6 that represent the event of the day and 1d6 if there is clarity so if it's a ruin or an encounter i use that one so here goes gonna roll 4d6 We got a 4 on the terrain die, which brings us to grasslands. We rolled a 10 for our event, which is an encounter, and we rolled a 6 for our clarity, so it is the 6th encounter in the grasslands, and it says, The Dinner Bell Rings. As you walk into an old pharmacy, the little bell on the door chimes. You search up and down the aisles looking for anything useful, but only find empty shelves. When you give up and go back outside, a pack of wild dogs attack you. Oh, shoot. Alright, so we have an encounter here, and it is wild dogs. Actually, I might get very lucky here, they only have 8 HP, which is enough to be taken down with one use of my taser. They have a defense of 1, an escape of 4, their attacks don't do a whole lot of damage, and I will roll 3d6 if I defeat them for rewards. So here goes. They're going to attack first. They were waiting for me outside of this pharmacy, and I get jumped on by these wild dogs. I rolled a 3, which is only 3 damage, which is mitigated by my armor and shield. I get my arm up in time and throw one of these wild dogs off of me. As the next one moves in, I use my solar-powered taser, which deals 10 damage, which is enough after their defense to take down one of these dogs. The others scatter. As they flee... I see where they roughly have been hanging out in this kind of grassland, reclaimed area that was once probably like a main street or something like that. And I see that there was an alley where they've kind of brought in all of whatever they've been able to scavenge. So we're going to roll 3d6 to see what the rewards are. Ooh, bad roll on the d6. I only got 8. A 4, a 3, and a 1. So basically... The one is worth nothing, and total, I can either find some bitlets or some more food, and given my history with starvation, I'm going to use the four and the one to make a five for three meal bars, and the three for three fruits, just going to keep on stacking up food. I am basically a walking bait for wild animals here. But... At least I got food, because that first session, starvation is real. So I think for safety's sake, I'm going to sleep in the pharmacy again and try and get back some hit points and energy as much as I can. So I'm relatively well stocked up on meal bars. Just from sleeping, I'm going to get three hit points and two energy points. So that will bring me up to 10 HP. And I can eat up to three items. So I think I'm going to eat three meal bars. Just the three that I found today. Bring me up to 16 health and 19 energy. And get ready to go back out there. I need to find some more means of defense. And by defense, I mean offense against all of these creatures that have begun attacking me, especially so I can go back and kill that robot that killed my brother. But I won't stop there. That robot's got a god. And that god's got to go. On to day 17. 46, rolling to see what happens. I am going to continue heading in the direction of that radio tower that the other hunter I met told me about. It's a little out of the way at this point, but without any real means to go after that robot. I'm realizing how ill-prepared I am to take on the god. If I can't even take down this T7... How am I supposed to take down the god? Maybe this radio tower has some answers. So we're heading northwest. And I rolled a one on my terrain for my third small injury. And that comes with a problem too. On the night of your third injury, this is what happens. As always, when you get a small injury, I'm going to lose two hit points. And I don't actually move from the tile that I was on. You limp through a dark forest. The moonlight is dim and unsettling tonight. You hear a branch snap behind you, and you freeze in place. You slowly turn around and see the body of your brother dragging itself closer to you. His face has four eyes, and they glow white as he spits up blood and calls for you to help him. Frozen in fear, you try and talk to him, but nothing's coming out. While you strain to say something, you wake up. You're okay. It was just a nightmare. You shake off the fear you fall back asleep. When you wake up in the morning, you have 10 hit points and 10 energy points. You're missing half of your bitliths and any duplicate items that aren't food. Very bizarre. I actually think I luck out big time here, because I only had two bitliths to begin with, so I only lose one. I lose a spare part. And because food doesn't count, I get away with it. I barely lost anything. I got very lucky, but... Like we were just saying, I think that that dissociation from reality, this revenge quest I'm on, I think the reality of how hard this is going to be is settling in, and I think that the nightmares are coming. I've got to figure some stuff out. Day 18, a renewed vigor. However, less hit points and energy, but it's a mental clarity of what I need to do. Here goes, 4d6. Rolled a five for the terrain, which is the desert. That makes sense. We were in grasslands with a pharmacy, so it just kind of gets a little more urban. Let's see what happens here. I rolled a four for the events, which says impassable. There is no cover from the unbearable sun. Walking through this arid, rocky landscape is too dangerous. Mark this tile as impassable. Backtrack to camp and start the day over. Ugh. One... This is the first time we've come across impassable terrain. And two, that is so brutal because it's right on the way to this radio tower. But it makes sense, right? This hunter said, we've been there. It's difficult. We don't know the code. It's kind of tucked in the middle of nowhere. Oh, can you imagine if it's surrounded by impassable terrain? That would suck. So the way that impassable works is it did say start the day over. So I think that that means I can try and go to a different hex on the same day. So I guess I'll try northeast and we'll go the slightly longer route around. Here goes. 4d6. I rolled a 5 again, so it is still desert, but I did roll higher on the encounter die, so let's see. This time it is a 6, which is ruins, and then we rolled a 1 on the clarifying die, so it says the distillery. The first trees you've seen all day surround a brutalist concrete building suitable for a villain. You check the inside and find the remains of the Cyber Spirits Co. Distillery and Kitchen. A self-sustaining tropical forest survives throughout the interior of this cave-like building. You find three fruits. Waterfalls throughout the building still function. You crack open a barrel of whiskey that has 42069 written on it in white ink. Very nice. That's hysterical, but there's no liquid inside. You do find five bitliths behind a register and spend the night here. Okay, so I got three fruits and five bitliths and get to hang out in a brewery for the night. That's pretty sweet, actually. All things considered, I'll take that good aged four twenty sixty nine whiskey. So we're gonna sleep here in the distillery. And I'm going to get three hit points and two energy points back. I'm going to save food just in case things get dire. And I'm just going to have one of these pieces of fruit as I scrounge around and try and find any bit of booze in here. But then we move on to day 19. So looking at our map, we are only two hexes away from this radio tower. There was desert to the north of the warehouse and the grasslands where I found the pharmacy. Hopefully, when I get to this area with the radio tower, we're going northwest from this distillery. Let's see what we find. 4d6. I rolled a 3 for the terrain, which is mountains. Of course, the radio tower's got to be high up, so it's out in the mountains. I rolled a 4 for the event die, and we reach our first village! Yes, let's go. Okay, we find a village hidden in the hills, aware of the shaken landscape, too stubborn to give up the views. Yes, right next to this radio tower. Hey, maybe this is where a bunch of other hunters have set up shop. We found our first village. Yes. So reading on villages, it says here, the villages you stumble upon are smaller than the one you came from. The people are warm and welcoming to folks traveling about. Have a look around. Stay a while. Remember to mark your map with the location of this village and number it. Because the first village you find is limited in opportunities. The second and third offer you more abilities, I think, to find mostly. So, there is a tavern where I can get a meal and I can sleep, which will give me more food and hit points when I stay there. And there are shops in villages, so... Importantly, there are a few things to do here. I can get food here. I can buy weapons. Oh, here we go. I can get weapons. And I can get tech skills. So at the first village, I can buy fruit, meal bars, a hunting knife, a small bow, and arrows. And I can get the first tech skill, dodge and strike. And I can accept quests in these villages. All right. Give me a second, I'm going to find out what I want to do here. Alright, so I can sell my Golden Cross for 20 bitlets, which is going to be huge in helping me get outfitted here. I think I'm going to buy the knife, the bow, and the arrows, so I have more options than just my taser, and I'm going to be ready to fight. That would be 9 Of my bitlets, I'm also going to take the tech skill because why not? Dodge and strike grants plus two to my attack. And for two energy points, I can dart to the side and strike with any melee weapon. So I do think there is a role that I need to do before I master it every time. Like I'm going to have to attempt it until I have it mastered. Yeah, it says here tech skills require training to improve accuracy and the right type of weapon to hit the enemy. During combat, I roll a d6 for each tech skill you know. If one is equal to or less than the current level of that tech skill, you level up that skill and hit the enemy. Otherwise, you miss and your turn ends. Oh, so for the first time, I have to roll a 1 just to level it up. But then I will get more consistent with it. Oof. But there's a fight club. A local notices how weak you are and invites you to an exclusive fight club. Yeah, I think that the guy selling me these weapons is like, kid, do you even know how to use these? They claim they're in every village in the area. It costs five bitliths to enter, and then you can train any skill just like you were in combat. After each attempt, your sparring partner gets a chance to hit you back. Roll a d6 to find X. If it's even, nothing happens. If it's odd, I lose that many hit points. They usually kick out bullies, so once you've successfully trained four times, you must leave and can't come back for seven days. So, for example, to train TS1, I would have to use my two energy points to try it and roll to see if I get the one to level it up. Ooh. I think it's worth it, though. I sold that golden cross. I got the money. Let's say there was a person there who collected... Remember we were running into all that religious iconography the first time around? I think that my character is so sick of that, but this person was very eager for this golden cross and I was eager for the bitlets to arm myself up. So we made the deal. They sent me over to the weapon shop. This guy goes, let's make sure you know how to do this. I have no problem parting with the bitlets. All right, let's see if I can train this. I'm going to roll a d6 and I guess I could try this as much as I want until I basically don't have energy left. Well, let's try it anyway. Here goes. I did not successfully train it, but I rolled even for them. Oh, I did get the one for me, but I do lose three hit points. Alright, so I've trained it up to tech skill two. So now on a two or one, I can successfully use dodge and strike. Try again. I got it again with the two, but I take three more damage, so that's up to three. I did not get it there and I lose another 3 damage. I have to stop there because I don't want to lose any more hit points. But I've trained dodge and strike up to tech skill 3. So it's relatively reliable. And just because, let's ball out and stay at the tavern. It says here for 3 bitliths, I can get a tavern meal and a free place to sleep. Let's see what that does. Holy crap, this is the best deal in the game. For 3 bitlets, I get 10 hit points and 4 energy points back from the meal, and a free place to sleep for 5 hit points and 4 energy points at the tavern, so I'm going to gain 15 hit points back and 8 energy points back for sleeping in a nice bed for the first time in over 2 weeks. For 3 bitliths. What a deal. This village, I think, just saved my chances of completing Miru 1, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> And one last thing, as we start day 20, waking up in this village, remembering what community felt like, the loss of my brother stings even more, I can take a quest. Each time you visit a new village, there always seems to be someone who could use some help. And basically, you find these quests in order, one village at a time. So the first one says, a younger person walks up to me and says, my grandmother hid her jewelry box One tile to the northeast of here in the mountains. Probably in the cave where she met my grandpa. Can you see if it's still out there? Now, the radio tower is one hex away to the west. If I go northeast into further mountains to go find this jewelry box, I'm going very out of the way. But I can always go back through the village on my way to the radio tower. I'm going to obviously accept this quest, but I think I'm going to go to the radio tower first. So on day 20, I'm going to actually head west out of the the village and see what happens here at this radio tower. So I've committed full transparency. I just scoured the PDF going, okay, so what's the deal with this radio tower? Where do I find this? Where do I find this? And then eventually I found it. Here... On the event that is supposed to take place, the cutscene that is supposed to take place on day 40, it says you may have already placed the radio tower on your map. If so, whenever you visit that tile, this event occurs, so we are triggering this cutscene 20 days early. You spend the morning hiking along the edge of a small mountain. You notice a low humming noise and follow the sound into a wooded area. After a kilometer or so of hiking through the brush, you come upon a clearing and discover the radio tower. There's a sign that hangs at the foot of the tower. It looks like a warning, but it's written in a cryptic barcode language. You climb up the rusty ladder and into the booth at the top of the tower. The noise is so loud and ear-piercing, you can't even think straight. In front of you is a control panel and a keyboard with numbers on it. You push the disc sticking out of the console, and the screen in front of you flashes through a series of cryptic symbols. It presents you with a grid of numbers. Although the instructions are written... In the barcode language, you figure out it wants you to fill in the grid to access the off switch. You can't stay up here for long without suffering serious hearing damage. You have 100 seconds to solve the puzzle before you need to leave. It will take you a whole night to recover and work up the nerve to come back into the tower if you decide to leave. Fill in every row, column, and six-cell box with the numbers 1 through 6. Ooh, it's a Sudoku, and I love Sudoku puzzles. I do crossword puzzles and Sudoku and stuff all the time in the newspapers whenever I find them or steal them from my parents who still get them. Shout out to boomers. All right, so it says here, if you manage to complete the passcode and turn the radio tower off, the god has 10 less hit points, robot enemies have two less hit points, and enemies you run away from no longer wait for your return. So they'll run away? That's cool. Oh, I definitely got to do this. All right, I have not looked at this Sudoku puzzle yet. I'm going to go online and get a 100 second timer. And this is going to make for thrilling podcast audio as I do a quick math puzzle. Oh, my God, that was super stressful. I couldn't look at the timer and the puzzle at the same time, so I kept looking up, like quickly, quickly, quickly. I actually managed to finish that pretty quickly. I still had about 40 seconds left. So wow. Way to incorporate a stressful (laughs) mini game into a game. And now obviously as a solo game, this is like great because if you were just sitting playing this game with the zine and a journal, you got to get a timer or something and you got to do this. And that's stressful enough. Imagine like alone playing this game. I really cannot recommend enough you guys check this game out, especially because it has both Miru 1 and the sequel that just came out. That was really fun. And I love that it has implications for the rest of the game. And I got it 20 days early. So that's going to make a big difference as I play the next 20 days. If I encounter any robots, they all have minus two hit points. And I don't have to worry about going back into hexes to fight creatures if I run away. Or fighting through them. Although I am going to house rule that that Buster T7 is still waiting for me in the warehouse, that bitch. But wow, okay. Awesome. Very cool. That trip to the radio tower was definitely worth it. And now I'm going to spend the night here as the low, irritating humming, that vibration, that sound, that signal finally stops. And a calm... Silence sets over these mountains and the forests below. And I'm going to spend the night here, and I'm going to heal up. And I'm going to go back to that village for day 21. As I return to the village, I wonder if these people have noticed any change. If that sound has registered as being gone now. But regardless, I come back to the village... And I think that, while not a member of this community, I think they're happy to see that I'm back, and, you know, anybody would be happy to see someone who wanders off into the mountains return no worse for the wear. But I return to the village, I don't have any more money on me. I do have enough bitlets that I could stay at the tavern again, but I'm doing relatively well on health and energy, so I don't think I need to. I could try and train again, but I'm not going to, I'm just going to head northeast Into the mountains, the next tile over to see if I can figure out if that jewelry box is still there. I want to help the people of this village because they've helped me equip myself physically and mentally for the rest of this journey. So let's go to this quest and see what happens. Day 22, I continue climbing this stretch of mountains around the village and hike up a small trail that wraps around to a small mountain. As you get close to the top, you spot a cave entrance. You investigate and find a cave full of knickknacks like dirty blankets, soda cans from 50 years ago. You spot a polished wooden box sticking out of a pile of rocks and leaves. You dig it up to find the jewelry box. You open it up, and there's a lifetime's worth of jewelry. Gold rings, pearl necklaces, you name it. As you close the box and stuff it in your bag and turn around to leave, a large growler bear just returned home, and it's not happy to see you in its cave. Well, shit. Side note, I do actually think I prefer grower bear to pizzly bear as a word for the combination of a grizzly and polar bear. Groler is definitely more terrifying sounding. But we got a fight to have. So here goes the grower bear has 15 hit points, 3 defense, oh, 3 defense is going to be tough, and an escape value of 4. It hits like a truck. And luckily, I stayed at the tavern, so I should be relatively well off. And you know what? I might just try my dodge and strike tech. As always in Miru, the enemy attacks first, and I'm going to roll a d6 to see what happens as I turn around with this jewelry box in my hand and this gorilla bear screams in my face and swats with a massive paw. Luckily, I only rolled a 2, which is 2 damage, which I easily deflect again with my incredibly lucky Buster T7 shield. My turn, I'm going to roll... Oh, I don't have to. Might as well use my taser for the first round of combat, as I somehow manage to deflect this thing's huge muscle paw, and I tase underneath it, which is going to deal... 10 damage, and 1 stun. So minus the 3 defense that this bear has, this brings it down to 8 hit points. If it rolls a 4 on its next turn, it is actually stunned and doesn't do anything. So here goes, rolling its d6. I rolled a 2 again, but luckily doing nothing and not doing enough damage that I actually take damage. Roughly the same thing. I think this time it knows better than to go after my shield, but it only takes a big swipe and claws. A nice, gnarly-looking swipe across my really cool sleeper's leather jacket. It is my turn now, and my taser is useless to me, so I'm going to pull out my hunting knife and attempt to stab this creature. That's going to deal 5 damage minus its 3. It brings it down to 6. Oh boy, going to have to try something here. Alright, here goes. It is up again it's down to six hit points if this thing rolls high I'm gonna start taking some serious damage and sure enough I said it it rolls a four for six damage I take one I'm going to attempt my dodge and strike which will add plus two to my attack so I'll deal seven which will bring four and I do successfully manage to do it as I roll a two so I deal seven damage minus three Bringing it down to two, so any successful hit I do from here on out will drop this Growler Bear. Man, I sound badass as hell now. What happened? I roll a three, so I take another one damage from it as it bites into my arm, but not before and not deep enough as I bury my hunting knife in this thing's skull, and the Growler Bear falls, my arm bleeding pretty bad. But not much worse for the wear, I somehow came out of that pretty damn strong. One night in a tavern, you know? Hot damn. So I get to roll 3d6 and see what rewards await me in addition to the jewelry box that I have found for this villager belonging to their grandmother. All right, it had three pips on its enemy stat block, so we're rolling 3d6. Just like the mountain lion and the pack of dogs, actually, there is a special reward, which is those light shoes, which makes running away easier. But I would need to roll an 11 or 12 in order to get those. Let's see what I do roll with my 3d6. Ooh, this is a high number. This is a 14... So I can get, oh, unfortunately, I can't even get the special reward based on the results because I got a 4, a 4, and a 6. So I could do 10, which is only bitliths. I don't think, you know, I'm going to regret underestimating the power of money later in this game, but I might just do the general stash. You only get one item, but you roll one more d6, and it looks like some good stuff. I mean, there's a strong bow, military helmet climbing gloves, and then actually the higher numbers are things I already have, like a small bow, arrows, and a hunting knife. All right, let's see if I can roll low. I do. I rolled a one. That's the strong bow. I upgraded my bow in here. Oh, that's awesome. How much better is a strong bow? Plus six attack. That doubles the attack. Holy cow. That's awesome. Oh, man. Dangerous. And I get to sleep in this cave for the night, relatively protected from the elements. So I'm going to eat one of my meal bars and get the rest from sleeping, which is going to bring me back up almost to full in both health and energy. Now I'm in an interesting dilemma. I can go back to the village and complete the quest. I don't know what defeating the Growler Bear, or I guess retrieving the jewelry box, gets me. But I have. A decent amount of this map already mapped out but I got a bunch more to do I think I'm gonna go back claim my reward and then I'll start heading east I guess I should go kill that buster t7 but it's like four days travel away at this point and as much as that revenge burns in my character's heart I think that the god is the bigger target Oh, I don't know. You know what? I think I gotta go kill that robot. Keep testing my abilities, right? And this one's personal. Alright, so we head back to the village for day 23, and we're going to complete the quest. Let's see what that does. If you return the jewelry box to the person in the village, they will give you 30 bit lifts. Well, hot damn. I'm rich! And I can sell my old bow for two more bits and stock up on some food. So I think that's what I'm going to do. Just in case, just to have them. Going to buy some fruits and meal bars. Spend the night in the village, resting up. We're back at full health and energy, feeling good. We did something for ourselves with the radio tower. We did something for someone else with the jewelry box. And we are going to head back towards that robot. Because these have already been tiles that we've encountered things in, there are ways to get new encounters. Basically, I roll a d6 in a tile I've been in if there isn't an icon, which is treasure, quest, or enemies. On the way back, there's only one of those, which is the distillery. So let's see. I did get even, which means that nothing happens. If I roll odd when I revisit any tile that I've been through that didn't have a treasure, quest, or enemy... Then, I get to re-roll for events. Now, as I begin day 25, a cutscene occurs. I'm ready to head back towards the pharmacy, when I wake up to the ground shaking. I quickly grab my stuff and try to keep my balance. I climb up a nearby tree to see what's causing all of this chaos. At the top, I look around and see a massive robot with four eyes walking around the area. It looks rusty and taller than the tree you climbed. Its body is draped with a rough and torn up cloth, like it had been covered in storage. It's walking around looking for something. It makes a loud, high-pitched screech that scares all of the birds in the area away. You wonder to yourself, Is this the god? Can I kill a massive machine? You mutter under your breath. You hop down from the tree and hide in a nearby cave all day. You stay on the same tile, you don't eat or sleep that night. When the sun rises again, you can hear the faint sounds of the machine walking around, but it sounds much further away. That night, I get one level of starvation, and I don't sleep. This concludes day 25. From here on out, I must track the god's location on my map. Ooh. At the beginning of your day, roll a d6 and move the god in that direction based on the priority map. So they have a way to move randomly around hexes. You can run into and fight the god at any time. Oh gosh. Well, I'm not going to do that anytime soon. Again, start small. Let's go kill the one that killed my brother. So I have moved myself the two more days. It takes to get back to the warehouse, made sure I tracked food and events, and I return to the warehouse where this Buster T7 still lumbers around like it's doing work in a warehouse that is now partially, if not mostly, burned to the ground. I think in my hubris that I'm going to creep from the tree line and get a clear shot on this robot with my new bow. But I underestimate its ability to scan and survey its surroundings. As I'm approaching the warehouse, I notice a surprising lack of activity going on. And while I have my bow drawn, because this is the way it works in Miru, it attacks first. I didn't even notice it in the woods. It had come back around to flank me. So let's see what happens, because I'm taking this mother out. Roll its d6, the Buster T7. I got a 1, which is only good for 3 damage, which is not enough to overcome my defenses. I turn around, and with my Alora deck and my Taser, I'm going to deal 11 damage as I just jam this thing in. It is now 2 hit points lower, both because of the fire, fictionally speaking, and the Radio Tower weakening Its hold. So it only has 13 hit points, and I just dealt 11 minus its three defense for eight, bringing it down to seven. It is stunned. If it rolls a four on its next attack, it does nothing. And for once I actually got it, I rolled a four. It is sitting there just kind of short circuiting as it is struggling to get any kind of attack going against me. I came prepared, I came ready, I came wrathful. I'm going to attempt to use my dodge and strike tech skill because I have that currently at a four, so if I succeed again, it'll go up to a five and I'll be very, very consistent with it. I rolled a four, which is enough, so I get plus two to my attack with my hunting knife as I turn and stab, further damaging this thing's internal circuitry. That is six more damage minus its three defense for three, and that brings it down to four hit points. It is going to attack me. I rolled a four, which is good for five damage, which is exactly my defense. So this time it does manage to get way too close for comfort. I fall back. You know, there aren't rules for like switching weapons and stuff. I did say I had my bow out. One attack with my bow would drop this thing. So I think what I do is, as it swings its laser sword arm, I kind of jump back and get a little distance between the two of us. I pull out my bow, I line up the shot as it approaches me, lumbering forward in its incredibly intimidating, robotic way, and I stare it down, and I say, this is for my brother, and I launch an arrow. Seven damage minus its three defense is the four damage I needed to drop this robot as it sputters and falls to its knees and short-circuits and drops to the pine-needle-covered floor of this section of forest, the burned warehouse in the background of this scene. My character lifts their head up and looks above the trees in the canopy where this warehouse sits, surrounded by forest, listening. Can he hear that giant walking robot with four eyes walking around? He doesn't hear it. He's going to have to track it down again. But this was step one. And he feels a lot better about it. As always, we've defeated an enemy, so let's see what the rewards are. I know that that was kind of not a... I feel like that wasn't an optimal choice to spend four days backtracking just to kill this robot. But at the same time, story-wise... I can't imagine this character just leaving this one to continue roaming about. He had to go back and kill it. So we roll our 3d6. There is a special reward, which is a laser arm. So if I roll an 11 or 12, I am taking that. Just saying right now. Here goes 3d6. Holy crap. I just got two fives and a six for a 17. Now what's funny is a 17 would get me a laser sword... But technically, oh wait, laser sword. The special reward is a laser arm, which is only a component of a laser sword. I think, oh my god, I just got so lucky. See, it was worth it to go back and kill this robot because now, instead of taking its laser arm as just a component to build a laser sword in the future, I actually tear this thing's arm off and somehow... It is still functioning, and I now have a laser sword. Now I'm a force to be reckoned with. Let's go ahead and finish out our second two-week chunk to finish episode two of Miru. We have one day left, and just for the sake of me being a weird, completionist kind of person, I do have one hex that's just kind of nestled in a along the side that it's really difficult to get to. And I can go there and then back to the tower, the radio tower. So we're going to go around the impassable desert. We're going to roll our 4d6 for our last day of this session. Ooh, that's a lot of low numbers. Two twos and two ones. The terrain is a two for a forest. And then we have a two and a one for events, which second... Village, are you ki- This session is the complete opposite of the first session. Wow. Okay, so we've come across our second village already, and I'll talk about the difference between that village and the first village next time. I'm definitely going to get another tech skill, but I legitimately thought at the end of last session, I was going to die of starvation or just get absolutely destroyed. But in this session, I have run away from that Buster T7. I have found a village. I have rested. I have armed myself to the teeth. I've defeated a Groller Bear and wild dogs. And now I went back for this Buster T7. And I can't believe how my luck has turned. Oof. Well... Thank you for joining me for a second episode of playing with myself on the internet for this new series of Miru. It is an absolute nail-biter every time I pick up the dice to play this game, explore any new hex, find out what the next cutscene event is going to be. It is absolutely crazy. I'm loving it. I'm not going to get too overconfident, but I'm feeling pretty good about my chances to get through Miru 1 at this point with all of the crazy rolls that I had tonight. And, oof, thank you so much for listening. If you like what we do, please rate us on whatever podcast app you use. I've been told Apple Podcasts is a good place to rate us five stars if you like us, so you can always go on that website and just give us a rating. Helps us find more listeners, and more listeners equals more opportunities to expand and do more shows and cool things. I hope you are all enjoying RuneQuest. Please join us for our Twitch streams every other Friday. I hope I can do some more streams on Alternate Fridays, we'll see how life goes as far as busyness and stuff like that. But we are also working on another podcast series, which is going to be the Thousand Year Old Vampire Epistolary series we're doing. It's going to be four of us, I believe, all playing as vampires with a shared sire, and we are going to be writing letters to one another and living out our immortal lives for various reasons with various goals. Amber is kind of taking the lead on that one. So we are currently writing and going through prompts and we're trying to organize everything so that way we can get it in an audio format that's going to be very enjoyable to listen to. I think it's going to be less emergent storytelling, rolling dice and stuff, and going to play more like an audio drama where we have rolled for our prompts off screen or off mic. And we're going to actually sit down and write out our letters and our journal entries and record them so that could be a really cool thing if that sounds great to you guys reach out to us let us know that you're excited about it if you want to email us directly shoot us an email at dmsafterdark@gmail.com. at gmail.com we love any correspondence we get whatsoever we've even gotten a few of people saying you know why we weren't there cup of tea and we appreciate that feedback because it's only going to make us better and try and put out stuff that people are going to enjoy so thank you again for listening as always Be cool to one another. And until next time, don't give up. Dodge and strike. Good night. Morning. Good day to you, sir. I said good day, sir.